Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. As those of you who've been following the Superhumanized podcast for a while know, I am super passionate about discussing groundbreaking trends in health and wellness. And that's why I am very excited to speak to today's guest. Dr. Marvin Singh, or Dr. Marv, as he's known affectionately by his patients, is an integrative gastroenterologist. He's the first physician in California to be board certified in internal medicine and gastroenterology, in addition to being a diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Medicine. He's currently only one of two integrative gastroenterologists in the United States to carry all three of these endorsements. Dr. Marv is the director of integrative gastroenterology at the Susan Samueli Integrative Health Institute at UC Irvine, as well as a voluntary assistant clinical professor at UCSD in the Department of Family Medicine and Public Health. Dr. Marv is dedicated to guide his patients to optimal wellness by using the most cutting edge technologies to design highly personalized precision-based protocols to help them stay on top of their health rather than underneath disease. Due to this calling, he founded Precision Clinic to bring the best and preventive medicine to his clients. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Marvin, thank you very much for joining us today. I am so happy to delve into all things health with you. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. Oh, my absolute pleasure. It is uh, one of my greatest, most wonderful experience in life to be able to speak to people such as you who have um, such profoundly um, paradigm-changing approaches to human well-being and to bettering our lives. Um, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about what your particular approach to health and well-being is. Well, um, I, look at, I look at things from perhaps a little bit of a different perspective, uh, more of a, a global one focusing on so many different parts of health and wellness. I mean, um, to me, you know, if somebody has a symptom, it's kind of like looking at a snow globe. Um, you, you know, the snow globe looks nice and calm. And let's just say the snow globe, when you shake it represents, I don't know, abdominal pain, for example. When you shake that snow globe, you see all the snowflakes flying around all over the place. Abdominal pain is not just necessarily gonna be one thing specifically that is the cause. Unless obviously you got in a car accident and you have abdominal pain now, you know, outside of the obvious like that. Oftentimes these chronic problems, these chronic illnesses or symptoms are due to uh, a multitude, many different things. Um, and in order to try to figure out what's making that blizzard run inside of your snow globe, you have to start investigating some of these um, more elusive parts of health and wellness. And that's what Precision Clinic is really all about. This is my, this is what I call precisionomics. It's using uh, all of these kinds of high-end um, uh, scientifically sophisticated tests to help understand what's making that snow globe turn so we can try to figure out how to move that storm in the right direction so that you actually have health and wellness rather than symptoms and suffering. Right. And uh, you just mentioned that you are the founder of so-called precisionomics. And if I came to your clinic seeking help, and again, everybody's issues are different, 
But when you, uh, what are the steps you would take to assess a new patient's health? If I came to you and you pulled out the big guns, what <laughs> are the tools at your disposal? A disposal. Well, really, the sky is the limit as far as tools at the disposal. But it's really an individual um, uh, approach to, you know, figuring out what's going on. Uh, I'm very cognizant or aware of people's budgets, and this is not just a thing for people who have money, really, either. So that's one of the main things that I want to underscore that. This type of approach doesn't mean that, oh, he said high-end testing, so it has to be only for people that, you know, have a lot of money. That is completely false. I mean, some of these tests are are pretty uh, easy to, to purchase and, uh, and pay for. They may be a couple hundred bucks to get a genomics test on your... Um, uh, nutritional and exercise factors. And so, you know, if that's one test that could make a huge impact on how you eat and exercise and live and reduce risk factors, then, hey, that's a couple hundred bucks very well spent, I think, um, compared to a lot of the other things that we use a couple hundred bucks for in life that are completely, you know, uh, without as much meaning uh, attached to them. So, you know, it really matters uh, what the goals are uh, and it matters um, where the person's coming from, I guess, as far as what uh, test we do. But if you wanted the whole thing as to the max, whatever you want, whatever you think you can get your hands on, you want to do, we can do things like whole body imaging, brain imaging, body composition imaging, um, doing a CT coronary calcium score, um, we can do whole genome sequencing, checking your body for certain kinds of toxins and toxic exposures, such as glyphosate or Roundup, which is a bad one that everybody talks about these days, and metals and other kinds of toxins and pollutants. Um, we can look into how strong your mitochondria are and look at food sensitivities there's really so many different things we can do, checking inflammatory markers, more sensitive markers for cardiac health, looking at your microbiome. Really, the, there's so many different things we can do. And sometimes we need to do all of them because if you're really interested in understanding what all the snowflakes are in your snow globe, and you're really interested in understanding how to prevent a problem from coming up rather than waiting for the problem to come up, then you know, you may want the most comprehensive approach to it because if you forget one part of it, then you may, that may be the one part potentially that could be the biggest risk factor for you. So it's important to understand the whole thing. It's one of my biggest um, thing, talking points that I talk to people about. There are certain people who will, you know, uh, talk about gut health and gut health, everything. And certain people they'll say uh, genetic health, genetic health, everything, or it's all about the mitochondria or, oh, you need to be eating what you're, you know, avoiding the food sensitivities that you have and eating that way, you know, and are all of these people right? Yes. Are all of them wrong? Yes. Because mm -hmm. you, you can't really look at one thing and that's it. There are a lot of things that affect our health and your digestive health could be influenced by food sensitivities, but it could be also influenced by mitochondrial dysfunction or your microbiome being off balance, um, you know, and there could be a lot of different factors going on mm -hmm. there. And uh, it's important to understand all of them. I love that you're saying that Marvin, and I especially love that what you offer, because I know it is your deep desire to help people to heal. So I love that you offer, you know, a broad range of options also financially. And I think it's really, really important for people to understand that getting back the control over your health and well-being is not necessarily tied to how big your wallet is. And practitioners such as you, uh, who have a true calling for helping individuals and bettering the world is really a blessing for the world. At the same time, I'm the type of person, I'm like, give me the whole snow globe. I want to know everything. <laughs> and I think we're living in such a marvelous time right now where we have all these cutting edge tools, where we have that in combination with the ancient knowledge. And I am uh, so drawn to people such as yourself who delve into all of these different arenas and You had quite an interesting um, journey to health and wellness as a person on your own healing path, but also mm -hmm. as a doctor. So can you give us a little bit about your background? Tell us about your own wellness journey, please. 
Well, you know, um, I went through medical school and my internal medicine residency and gastroenterology fellowship, just like anybody else would. And uh, then I took my first job. Um, I was a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and I learned a lot there and it was a great place to have as a first job. Um, and then, you know, uh, after I started moving on, I started realizing that there are a lot of people that we take care of that are really sick in the hospital and we have good medicine and technology for that. But, you know, that's not a majority of people who run around with problems. A lot of people have chronic problems, mm. um, you know, and I was, I was reading one survey that, uh, you know, in, in 2014, 60% of Americans had at least one chronic condition. Wow. 42% had more than one and 12% had more than five. And, you know, these are the kinds of patients that we see a lot of in our offices. And it almost seems like we have nothing much to help them with besides medicines to help suppress the reaction that is happening or to try to control a symptom. But, you know, as healthcare providers, we don't do a, a lot of, we don't do much, much great work in counseling people about looking at root causes of where this problem came from in the first place and then trying to address that. And then once you address that, seeing how things unfold. And so I started this journey of kind of realization um, early on in my career. And I started testing some of these things out on myself. Um, that's, I still do that to this day. You know, <laughs> if there's a, a new, or even if there's a new herbal or supplement that somebody is interested in, in trying, or I'm interested in seeing if it works uh, or if it does anything to anybody, I often will try it out on myself first. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I started uh, getting really into uh, these uh, more personalized type of testing because I had the idea. I said, what if we could look at somebody's genes and their microbiome and, you know, sensitivities and toxicities and other factors? What if we could look at all that stuff and really tell them how they should live, what they should eat, how they should exercise? Would that help? Would that help uh, people get better? And so that was kind of the journey I embarked on. I, I didn't ever think that I was going to end up here today where I am today, but um, I'm glad I did because it's been super fun. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I started looking at my own nutritional genetics, my microbiome, my sensitivities, and started taking a few supplements, started exercising a little differently, um, uh, started eating differently and uh, started focusing on some of the lifestyle factors that we don't really uh, get taught much in medical school, started meditating and trying to focus on, you know, proper hydration and sleep and, you know, all of these things, which we can kind of delve into a little bit more if you like, but some, you know, getting into all of these things myself and personalizing my approach based on what my body was looking for or needing. I saw within a few months, uh, a lot of weight started coming off. Uh, I lost maybe 20 pounds in the first couple months or so. And then when I started to reach a plateau, I started to up, you know, I didn't do it all at one time, I should say, you know, this, everything has to be done sequentially. Otherwise you'll overwhelm yourself with all the expectations you have. So that's right. an important thing to remember that you're not supposed to do this all at one time, but I reached my plateau with my first go at it. And um, at, at that point, I started to, you know, up my game a bit by making sure I was sleeping better, reducing stress, meditating, doing breath work on a more regular basis. And that's where I got my second wind. Basically, I lost another, you know, 15, 20 pounds at that point. And um, this all happened. I, I usually show a picture when I do a, a PowerPoint presentation, I show a picture two headshots of me separated by, I think, two years or something. I tell people that the transformation took, uh, it looks like it took two years to get from picture A to picture B, but it, it really wasn't two years. It was actually like three months. But what happened between picture A and picture B, those two pictures where you could see that I'm about 35, 40 pounds lighter, is that I educated myself about true health and learned about things that I could do and really studied integrative medicine. Not only was I doing a fellowship in integrative medicine, I, I was reading 
tons of books outside of the regular training. So, you know, I'd come home from work, working a regular job, you know, uh, working in the hospital, taking care of patients, came home, eat dinner, be with the family. And then when the kids are asleep, you know, I think from like 10 to midnight uh, in the beginning, I was studying. And then outside of that, I was uh, reading books while I was driving, you know, I was listening to a lot of books on tape. I got through, you know, maybe a hundred books in that first year and a half or two years um, and really learned so much about health and wellness that uh, really wasn't ever taught to us before. So that combined with the fellowship really kind of changed my perspective and viewpoint on things a lot. Mm, yes. And I, I think for me, you know, the, the hallmark of a stellar healer is also this desire to never stop learning, even if you go outside of the field of your former experience or knowledge. You also studied uh, under Dr. Andrew Weil, I mm -hmm. read, correct? Yeah, that's the fellowship in integrative medicine that uh, I was kind of alluding to. So that was the two years of you know, putting myself through school again, basically, after I had already gone through school. <laughs> <laughs> and you're spot on with that, you know, never stop learning concept, because I, I still always remember one of my uh, oldest teachers told me, um, I think it was on the first day of my GI training, he said, there's only one secret to being a good doctor. And I said, what's that? He says, never stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I took it to heart. Superhumanize. Something I want to talk about and something that's a really hot topic these days and has also arrived in the mainstream is the gut microbiome. Uh, you know, every magazine you look at, website you look at, you know, there's the talk about gut health, how important it is, bacteria. So I'd, I'd like to discuss with you or have you explained to us what the gut microbiome is and is it all about bacteria? Break it down for us, please. Yeah, great question. So, um, funny enough, uh, majority of our cells uh, and the DNA that sits on what we call our body are not human. Mm -hmm. They are made up of bacteria. There are more bacteria in and, uh, in, in and on your body than there are human cells. So think about that for a second. It's, it's quite fascinating. We never really think of it that way, but that's the truth. Inside of our digestive tract, which is what we call the gut, which is, you know, from the mouth all the way to the end where you move your bowels, um, all the way through that whole tube, which we call the digestive tract or the gut, is what we call the gut microbiome. And the microbiome is basically like an ecosystem of these microorganisms. Majority of them, yes, are bacteria, but uh, it's important to note that um, there could be some viruses, there could be fungi, um, there could be other guys there in addition to um, just bacteria, but a, a vast majority of them are bacteria. And this is a very fascinating area of science and research. Um, uh, you know, I particularly am interested in it because uh, not only am I a GI guy, I'm a, uh, a you know, precision medicine guy, and, and um, these kind of go hand in hand. What we're learning is that the microbiome has so much power, we don't really fully even understand uh, every function or dysfunction of the microbiome, but we do understand that there are some basic concepts that seem to hold true. And that is that when the microbes or the bacteria uh, uh, in the gut are off balance, then we have a setup for a lot of different dysfunctions or inflammation or chronic problems. And when I mentioned earlier that 12% of Americans um, had five or more chronic diseases, this is uh, stuff that we're talking about, like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity, Alzheimer's. It's not just, you know, lupus when people think about, you know, a, a chronic inflammation problem. A right. lot of these other problems that we kind of take for granted are also chronic inflammatory problems. You just may not feel the inflammation of obesity, but uh, it, it is there for sure. And the microbiome plays a role in uh, how these diseases or conditions work. And I guess that's, that's the microbiome in a nutshell. And the important thing to understand also is that the microbiome is not uh, a static thing, meaning that 
if I take a picture of it or if I, if I do a test on that microbiome, whatever I see today is what I'm going to see forever. That is not the case. Man, I wish it was the case in one regard because it would be very easy to manage the microbiome then <laughs> if we knew that you would take a picture of the microbiome today and that's the picture we're dealing with so we can change it how we like. That's not how it works. And actually, if you think about it on a philosophical way, that is not how we want it to work. Although it may be frustrating to us as individuals because we're a, a society of humans that feels that, you know, if we have one problem, we should have one solution attached to it. That's really not how we were made. That's not how we were built. Our operating system is different. And it's actually a really good thing. So we want to try to look on the positive aspect of this, because if you live, for example, in Southern California, and this year was pretty bad when you have all these fires and smoke um, exposed uh, to every human being that lives in the area, that toxin is changing uh, how your body functions and detoxifies and is affecting your microbiome. If right. our microbiome was not able to shift and change to adapt, then we'd be we'd be goners, right? We we want it to shift and change yes. because we don't live in static environments. We get problems like COVID. We have, you know, we get deaths in the family. We have stress from work. We have changes in diet habits, like over the holidays, whether you want to or not, a lot of people, you know, they indulge and that's fine. That's part of being alive and being a human and enjoying life. But if your microbiome didn't shift along with you, then we might have more problems than we would like. Yes, and not only as individuals, but as uh, the human race, we may not be where we are today. Being adaptable and being able to go with change, you know, is why we have become who we have become. Exactly. And with regards to, thank you for um, putting this, giving us this broad and very easy to comprehend overview about the microbiome, which is a very complex thing, actually. So I, I always appreciate people who can explain things in, in simple terms so we can all kind of wrap our heads around them. I think another thing that's important to understand about the microbiome is it's not only bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different components to it. That is true. Um, it, exactly how viruses or fungi interact with the bacteria and how they create problems or don't create problems. I don't think we 100% fully understand that at the moment. Um, but uh, most likely they play some sort of a role uh, in imbalance or imbalance. You know, uh, people often, uh, you know, I guess if we're talking about non-bacteria for a moment, they get fixated on the concept of candida or, or yeast yes. in, in the gut. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the issues that I have is that this concept really became sensationalized as a concept. It's almost like, well, if I have bloating and I, and I can't eat much sugars, then that must mean I have candida because that's what all the candida blogs talk about that I should, you know, be avoiding these kind of things. And I have problems with these things. So therefore I have candida and then I go on some crazy candida protocol and really it may have nothing to do with that. You know, you could have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or maybe you're not moving your bowels properly because you don't have enough fiber in your diet. You know, it could, or maybe there is a, a yeast overgrowth going on, but you know, uh, for me, uh, in, in what I've seen in my background, um, you really kind of have to prove the point for me to uh, understand uh, th that we need to treat something in a particular way. Because oftentimes when you do tests on people's stool, um, it, uh, and they are for certain that they have a yeast overgrowth, you don't see any yeast overgrowth, even if you're using some of these uh, microbiome very sensitive tests, um, mm. not you know beyond just the standard stool culture you might get in the hospital. So um, what you feel or what you think may not correlate with the truth. And then you ask yourself, well, why is yeast overgrowing if yeast was overgrowing in the first place? Most likely it's overgrowing because there's a significant imbalance in the bacteria in the gut. Just like if you imagine if you uh, burnt down a forest um, and when the fire is over, 
what are some of the first life forms that you might see popping up? You might see mushrooms popping up, right? right. Because that's a fungus. And um, these are the types of life forms that grow in a lot of different environments, even severe environments. And the same holds true inside the microbiome as well, because that's a big ecosystem or environment inside your body. And so if, you, if, if there is an overgrowth of yeast, then we want to be able to control that overgrowth by fixing the resiliency and diversity of your gut microbiome, which is primarily made up of bacteria. Yeah. I think it's a conceptual thing to really think about what am I actually saying? Am I saying that I have this problem because somebody's blog described for me what this problem sounds like and it sounds like me? because that's not really the way to kind of diagnose that kind of an issue. Superhumanize. And um, you brought up something, you know, the, the, the balance and the microbiome and also the overgrowth, which uh, reminds me of something uh, else. As much as the talk about the microbiome has become mainstream, so has the talk about the use of probiotics. So we know today that probiotics can may improve anxiety, that they may help the immune system, that they can alleviate digestive issues and be beneficial in many other ways. However, in one of the articles that you have written, you mentioned a study that came out saying that probiotics may cause increased brain fog in some people by exacerbating small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, also known as SIBO. And correct me if I'm not uh, pronouncing this. No, uh, you're doing right. great. <laughs> but so, so this, um, please explain this to us because you know often there's so much information out there and people feel like, huh, they don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's that's the crazy part of the human body. You know, it wasn't it wasn't designed to be immediately hacked. That's why we've been spending our <laughs> our life existence as a species trying to figure it out, right? <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there was a study uh, or a, a paper that came out suggesting this, and it, it, it sparked um, quite a debate within the conventional GI world uh, regarding probiotics. And um, it, probiotics are not entirely straightforward. In a lot of cases, they can be helpful. I mean, you'll find um, studies suggesting that supplementation with a certain probiotic helps with X, Y, or Z problem, like one thing that came comes to mind is, you know, lactobacillus supplementation, reduced inflammation and protein spillage in the urine in a, in a, in a animal model. So, you know, there could be some positive effects of these um, probiotics in certain, in certain settings. When we're talking about small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO, um, this is an interesting, this is an interesting thing. So, um, I look at it two ways. Um, just imagine you have a room and you're having a party, pre-COVID, of, of course. <laughs> and um, there are, let's say, uh, 50 people in the room and the occupancy uh, is 25. That's the rule set by the fire marshal. And the fire marshal comes by and says, hey, you got 50 people in this room you're only supposed to have 25. There's too many people in here. So you got to get the other 25 out. So you could say, okay, well, there's two options here. I can open the door and ask 25 to leave, then I'll be good. Or I could send another 50 in, bum rush all the 50 that are in there and hopefully squeeze out the extra 25. And then those 50 that I put in will come out too. Well, that could work or that could just make your uh, volume 100 in that room instead of 50. Now you're four times over the limit instead of just being double the limit. This is the kind of the concept of probiotics that I like to kind of make an analogy for. So those extra people that you're throwing in are the probiotics. So in some cases, the probiotics may actually help diversify the microbiome, uh, reduce symptoms, crowd out the bad ones, and you're in a good position. In other cases, it may be too much on top of already too much, and you have even worse of a problem. 
So it really, you know, uh, takes a personalized approach to dealing with this type of situation as well. Often talking to people about their history, their experience, um, talking to them about, you know, various kinds of foods and how it affects them, looking at, you know, actual data. Do they have any evidence of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? and how they've responded in the past. And then using all that information as kind of a, a best judgment on what to do. And, you know, it may not work the first time at it, but at least you're learning from that experience. And oftentimes it does work, you know, when you make the right decision. Yeah, that analogy makes total sense. And uh, I think it'll make it much easier for people to understand the concept. So thank you for that. Now, speaking about probiotics, of course, uh, an, another route to go if you have issues and that often is taken are antibiotics. Mm -hmm. What is your personal take on those? Well, uh, I am not a big fan of unnecessary antibiotics. Antibiotics can be life-saving medications. We live in a civilized, advanced society. If you get pneumonia, you should be able to take an antibiotic for bacterial pneumonia so that you don't die. You know, we're not in, you know, uh, the 1500s anymore. We have, um, we have technology and medicines that can be life-saving. So I'm not against using those. But what I am against using uh, antibiotics for is in an unnecessary situation. Like if you have just a little bit of an early cough and it's a, probably a viral infection and in order to make you feel good, um, your doctor gives you a Z-Pack, for example, and says, just take the Z-Pack for five days and you'll be fine. And, you know, people develop the habit of feeling that, oh, the Z-Pack helps me because after five days, my symptoms went away. But that could really just be the true course of the viral infection that resolved on its own. And the antibiotic did nothing because it wasn't a bacterial infection in the first place. You know, so that's one setting uh, of just taking antibiotics just at the drop of a hat because antibiotics uh, uh, can be like atomic bombs to your gastrointestinal tract, to your microbiome. Uh, the other thing to think about is antibiotics outside of the pill form. Uh, in one of the book chapters that I wrote, um, I discovered an article that suggested that, uh, you know, it's so common for antibiotics to be delivered to animals in their feed um, as, a, as a growth promoter and to prevent disease in the animals that it was estimated that uh, every individual in the United States consumes more than 27 grams of antibiotics each year because of this practice. Yes, it's absolutely. That's right. crazy. You know, that means that that's, that's, that may be even worse than taking a five-day antibiotic for a bacterial infection because you're continuously, consistently taking these these little mini missiles in your body every day that uh, is damaging your gut lining and the diversity of your microbiome. And this is where we have a setup for chronic disease when you have chronic exposure to something. Yeah. I'm so, so glad you're bringing that up, Marvin. And mm -hmm. I personally, I'm, I'm plant-based. I've been vegan for many, many years. I chose uh, to go that path for a lot of different reasons. But especially with regards to health, you know, even if you choose to eat animal products and meat, I think it is so vastly important to know where the products come from and don't put something into your body that will cause in the end chronic illness by, for example, what you've been saying, by constantly exposing yourself to and consuming antibiotics, which the animals are being fed because they're mass produced and grow up under horrific uh, circumstances. So yeah, thank yeah, you. it may be more expensive to get a you know, you know, organic, uh, free range, uh, you know, type of uh, animal product, but that expense is probably worth it if that means that it's going to be better for your health. Yes, your health has no price, and what you may end up paying in the end is vastly more. And the other, the other important thing is, even though you're plant-based, that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, well, I'm plant-based, so everything that I eat is antibiotic-free. That, right. that is wrong because, because uh, pesticides and herbicides are antibiotics also. And yes. not only are they bad for the plant, they may change the nutritional composition of the plant. They may be changing the nutritional composition of the soil in which the plant grows. So you have a double whammy. And then when you eat it, it's a triple whammy. So... 
um, uh, these things like Roundup uh, and other kinds of pesticides um, are really bad for you uh, and disruptive of the microbiome as well. So it's important to try to eat non-GMO or organic as much as possible. Absolutely. And that's another really, really important thing to highlight. Unfortunately, we're living in times where and most of us are not aware of this, we are constantly bombarded with the most horrific toxins. And, you know, then all of a sudden, quote, we get ill where no, not all of a sudden, it's because for years, we've been unaware of the things we're exposed to. Um, and I always recommend to all of my friends, you know, dive into your health, learn about health and well being, nothing is more important. So you can really live a long life, live it well, and live it productively and reach your full potential in all aspects. And uh, taking back part of that um, ownership, sovereignty over our health is, is a hugely important thing with regards to that. Yeah, and that's why I've actually titled the book I'm working on, Own Your Health, because that's what the whole concept is. It's about owning your health and being in charge of you know, everything that affects your body and understanding it on, on such a more meaningful level, because being healthy uh, really is, is uh, different now than it meant, you know, maybe 50 years ago to be healthy. Um, appearance is really not all there is uh, uh, to, you know, being healthy. There's a lot of things that go on inside our bodies that we don't know about or that we can't feel unless we actually look for them. How many people have you seen that actually look like they were healthy you know, runners eating vegetables and things like that? And then, you know, one day you see them healthy and the next day they, they're in the hospital with a major heart attack Absolutely. or they got a diagnosis of cancer. It happens all the time. I mean, so uh, health really uh, is taking on a different meaning um, in, in more modern days. And this is really the message that I'm trying to bring to people to, to really stay on top of your health um, so that uh, you don't get sick. And it's worth the investment in time and effort to understand what's going on inside your body now so that you can prevent the problem from happening later. Because, you know, once you have Alzheimer's disease or once you've had your first heart attack, the cat's out of the bag already. It's not to say that we can't help you prevent, uh, you know, worsening problems or repeat events of some of these problems. We can certainly try our best, but it's always, as you can imagine, much easier to try to prevent something before it takes, uh, you know, comes to the surface. Absolutely. And we have spoken about that in the past. I personally am super excited to read your book, Own Your Health. Love, love, love the title, by the way. And I know it'll be out in sometime in 2021. Uh, for people who are also interested in that, what are the um, broader topics? What are you going to share with us in the book? Of course, we all need to get it and read it, but give us a few. <laughs> Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that. So, you know, the the beginning of the part, the beginning of the book, um, we're going to kind of go over some of the key tests that I like, um, and then I'll boil them down into, you know, priorities, basically, based on affordability, because I want this, the main message to, to not be that you can do all these fancy tests and spend a lot of money, but that I may not have to spend much money at all, or I can use my insurance in certain in certain places um, and really still personalize my care. The whole point is to understand which tests are good for you and then to personalize your approach, because that's really the only way to understand how to make yourself healthy is by looking at yourself rather than looking at other people. Um, and so that's that's the beginning part of it. And then we kind of delve into different uh, different scenarios where uh, and we use real life examples to kind of convey uh, the messages. I'm, I'm a big person when it comes to analogies. So I always try to give somebody real life examples of something um, because it means more um, uh, when you do that. And it's more understandable when you, you go through somebody's journey. So we'll go through the journey of those with you know, uh, brain concerns or heart concerns or autoimmune or hormonal concerns, gut concerns, and, and those who just want to live longer. 
Um, so we go through different scenarios and try to, um, you know, uh, demonstrate uh, how how we use these concepts of personalized medicine to to help people in these different categories, and then we try to bring it all together to help people understand how they can get started in personalizing their health and owning their health. Outstanding. Um, please keep me posted on that. And uh, once the book is out, I'd love to have the opportunity to speak with you again, because I know we're today only uh, scratching the tip of the iceberg. There's so many things I'd love to discuss with you. Superhumanize. You know, something that really comes to mind also with regards to owning your health. One of the first steps in doing so and getting back into balance is stress. Many people are suffering from constant stress. And what's really important to know about this is that we need to regulate our stress because chronic stress can lead to chronic inflammation in the body. And in that way, it sets the stage for many chronic diseases. I'm a big fan of adaptogens, herbs that help the body to adapt to stress and resist stressors of all kinds, whether these are physical or psychological, chemical, biological. And I know you're also a huge proponent of adaptogens. What are your favorite ones to calm the mind? Oh, that's a good, that's a fun question. Um, so yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right that stress plays a large role in our health and it actually affects our microbiome. Mm. Um, there's a gut brain connection and a lot of people, uh, are maybe aware of it, that the gut can influence, uh, how you feel and how you think and, and the brain can influence the composition of the microbiome as well. And when those things happen, um, uh, when this bi-directional superhighway is acknowledged, you can maybe understand how there may be some ways that we feel and think in certain in, in certain manners um, based on what's going on in our body. So this is an important concept to understand. And you know, we can exercise, we can meditate, we can make sure that we're sleeping and eating the right way. Sometimes we need a little bit of uh, extra help um, to help that relaxation part uh, come to fruition. And, you know, because uh, sometimes it's hard to say, okay, go sit down and meditate if you have a hard time sitting down. So you have to do the first, you have to get the first step accomplished before you can do the second step. And this is where I often may use adaptogens to help support that process. One of my favorites is ashwagandha. I, I use that often. Um, I, I refer to it affectionately as nature's Valium. And it's not like Valium. It's not going to like make you um, sleepy or pass out. Um, it may make you a little drowsy. So sometimes I tell people to take that towards the end of the day. Um, but it's kind of like that feeling, you know, sometimes people will come home and they say, oh, I had a tough day at work. They just use a glass of wine to unwind, which may not necessarily be the healthiest choice. Um, but ashwagandha, to me, kind of gives you that kind of a feeling. So you take some ashwagandha and it kind of just brings you down uh, a little bit, mellows you out a bit um, and helps you sleep a little bit better and uh, balances your cortisol levels and um, uh, overall uh, has uh, uh, several different uh, beneficial effects. Rhodiola is another one that I like. Rhodiola sometimes can be a little stimulating for people. Um, and so uh, I usually suggest taking that in the mornings um, if that's going to happen, because you'd rather not be stimulated in the, in the nighttime when you're trying to wind down. And sometimes you find supplements from different companies that actually have a mix of both ashwagandha and rhodiola together. Um, because sometimes, uh, just like with many other herbs, when things are put together, they may work better at balancing stress levels than if they were taken um, alone separately. So those are my two favorites. Those are excellent, excellent uh, recommendations. I'm very fond of both of these herbs too. And uh, yes, very good. What you said also about the rhodiola and rather take in the morning. I actually mix rhodiola in my morning superfood coffee. And I love to take uh, ashwagandha as a powder in my evening cocoa goes really well flavor-wise too. So for people who don't want to take pills, uh, rather mix kind of like a super drink, that's a fun way of doing it and making it part of your daily wellness ritual. Mm -hmm. 
Something else that uh, you also have uh, an interesting take on and that you recommend to people is, and you have written about the positive impact of it is earthing, earthing and gut health. So for those who are not familiar yet with earthing, uh, please explain what it is and also what it does to our bodies on a biological level. Well, um, earthing is a very cool concept that uh, basically means that you're connecting with your environment and um, the earth around you. And so one of the simplest ways to do this is um, just by walking around outside in your backyard um, with no shoes on. Um, you know, here in California, Southern California, we often earth by going to the beach. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's something we can do every day. But, um, uh, you know, everybody, I guess, is not so uh, lucky to have access to the beach, but it doesn't have to be the beach. Um, it can, it just basically means that um, you're connecting with the earth and the environment around you, because this is an important concept to remember, even for health and wellness, because, we are not just individuals that live in our homes and have jobs and, you know, and go to work and have kids that go to school and that kind of stuff. We are those kind of people, but we are also part of a bigger system. We are part of a global community. And I think a lot of people take that for granted. Uh, even a lot of the mindfulness practices that, uh, that we do uh, teach us about how we are not just individuals, but we are individuals that are interconnected with everything else on the planet. And I think earthing helps us realize and appreciate that, you know, such a simple concept of going for a walk in your backyard or, or wherever in, in, with no shoes on, with your bare feet, really helps connect us as humans to uh, our environment. This is what they call forest bathing um, mm -hmm. uh, is another term for it. And they've actually done some interesting studies on this as well, where they look at inflammatory markers uh, in people and levels of pain that people might experience when they are in uh, uh, an earthing environment where they do earthing uh, versus not, and they found a positive effect. So um, there's a whole science behind this whole uh, concept of earthing that is uh, pretty cool. Yes, and that's an important thing to note as well, because, you know, people who are not acquainted with the concept may easily think, oh, it's some kind of California woo-hoo hippie tree hogger thing. Yeah. No, it's not. It's quantifiable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they've done studies where they're measuring people's pulse and blood pressure, um, you know, uh, and uh, put them in an environment where they were looking at very calm, peaceful nature, forest type of environment versus looking at the city and um, found obvious changes um, uh, in their and their parameters uh, com uh, when they compare the two uh, environments to each other. So, you know, um, this is something that you can do even if you do live in the city, because, you know, there's always a park or something nearby somewhere. Even if you live in downtown Manhattan, um, uh, you have the one of the most beautiful parks uh, in the country there, Central Park. And there are a lot of parks all over the place. And it doesn't have to be that you have to do anything super extensive, but you know, um, take, uh, taking your shoes off and um, just connecting with the earth. What I like to do is try to use this concept and combine it with another so you get more mileage out of it. So I like to meditate or do breath work, um, you know, and you, you don't have to do that in any park. I do that in, in my backyard, I have some grass back there and you sit down on the grass and um, you do your meditation and your breath work um, and in your bare feet and you get a combination of effects. Not only do you get the positive benefit of the meditation itself, but you're also getting the positive benefit of earthing at the same time. Excellent. And as you also said before, it's part of connecting to the bigger context that we truly are part of and that our daily routines, you know, having jobs and doing the hustle uh, can disconnect us from. And it's a vital part of feeling healthy to realize that we are part of nature and trying to reconnect whenever we can. It's how, it's how we were made it's, and it's how we function best. And it uh, empowers us to really uh, 
own our health, you know, once we start practicing it and realize the positive effects. And it also takes us out of this, this false narrative of, hey, uh, how I feel, how I'm doing health-wise is all part of either having good genes or bad genes. That's not true. Uh, you have a lot of control over your health. And as long as we learn about them and use the tools, it can have a huge, huge impact. Yeah, one of the people that taught me about how powerful this um, concept is is uh, Dr. Dan Siegel, and mm. um, he's really the 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 guru of the mind and uh, all the principles behind how the mind works. And he says that the mind, if you think about, if you ask somebody, "Where's your mind?" Most of the times, they'll just say, "It's in my head," but uh -huh. that's actually not right. The <laughs> mind is within us and between us. So if you think about that, your mind is within you and between us. I'm seeing part of your mind in this conversation and you are seeing part of my mind in this conversation because we are connected through conversation. Maybe it would be better if we were seeing each other face to face, but, <laughs> but you know, our mind is within us and between us. And so when we think about it that way, uh, you know, what we do to our environment affects us directly as well. And so if we take care of our environment, we are taking care of ourselves at the same time. And um, when we understand that we, if we connect with our environment on that higher level, that we are doing our body good at the same time, um, it, it makes it a much more beneficial practice for us to use. Absolutely. You know, microcosm, macrocosm, and also realizing that, yes, it's very important to take care of our own health. And at the same time, because we are connected to this world and to nature, we also need to take care of our environment because what good is it to get into the best health you possibly can be if everything around you is wrecked? That's also my approach to the creating the most optimal human experience towards biohacking is it's not just taking care of my self individually but it's extending this to other human beings my smaller more intimate circle but also making these tools available to the larger human family and realizing that this is all part of one super organism which is this beautiful planet we are so fortunate to live on Exactly, exactly. Once we realize that, then we realize that there's a bigger picture to health uh, and that if we take care of our environment, we are in effect taking care of ourselves as well. Superhumanize. Also in a smaller circle application uh, that we are also responsible uh, and can lay the groundwork for the health of those we love most. Um, some of the foundations of lifelong health are laid when we're children. And that's a time in our lives when we're not in charge of most of our diet, our life circumstances and habits. So for the parents who are listening, what can parents do to improve the health and future of their children? What can they do now? I think it's important to realize that when kids are young, uh, we often think of uh, them as, oh, it's not going to bother them. It doesn't impact them. They're not going to remember, or they're just a kid, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's actually probably very wrong. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, what we say and what we do are being ingrained in the kids uh, all the time uh, and, a, and a second to second basis. So really leading by example, you know, um, uh, if, we as adults, parents, don't have good um, practices to deal with stress, then that's what the kids are going to learn. They're going to learn maladaptive practices to dealing with stress. Mm. If, if uh, we as parents don't eat vegetables in our diet, then they will learn that um, vegetables are not necessary in the diet. That's just how they'll grow up. And, you know, uh, when you see a line of family with diabetes, obesity, and heart disease, you, you know, what's the knee-jerk reaction a lot of us say is that, oh, it must be in the genes, it's genetic. 
And maybe there is some genetic predisposition, but the control on that predisposition came from how the children were brought up in the first place. Um, and uh, that may be more of what's inherited rather than the genes themselves, is that the, the behaviors and the patterns um, are, are being... Um, uh, inherited basically or passed down. And it's also important, I guess, to remember that communication is a super powerful antidote and a medicine that you can use in your household. When something stressful happens in your house, say to a family member, or there, even if there's an argument, or if you know the kid knocked over a glass bowl and there's glass everywhere and you got upset, it's not necessarily wrong to get upset. You know, sometimes we have a hard time as humans to control how we uh, react. That's a whole other topic to kind of uh, to talk about. But um, sometimes, you know, it just happens, right? Um, you know, you get upset, you, you yell at the kid. But if you do that and then you leave it alone, that's even worse, but if you do that, and then a couple minutes later, you come back to the kid and you say, you know, I'm sorry, it was my fault. I shouldn't have yelled. I yelled because I'm the one who's under stress because something else is going on. You're just open with them. And you say, that's not an excuse for how I acted uh, when you broke the bowl. But I wanted to at least explain that. And you give the kid a hug and a kiss, then you know, that, that problem that was created by your reaction kind of goes away because that communication really explained it to that child as far as why you acted or behaved in that way. And then you have the opportunity to continue working on your responsiveness rather than your reactivity to certain things. Um, uh, and that's really the greater issue. But if you didn't explain that you you know, got upset about the bowl breaking um, because there was something going on in your mind that caused that reaction, then the kid will just interpret that to mean, I suck. Um, I'm no good. Nobody likes me. They don't love me. Um, I'm worthless. And when that happens over and over and over again, then that just solidifies that pathway of thought in that child's mind. And that's how the kid grows up to be as an adult. And it was completely accidental because majority of the cases, that is totally not what the parent intends to happen. Of course. So communication is really crucial. And I think, you know, um, perhaps a lot of uh, people, uh, adults now in my age group, um, didn't have parents who communicated that well, or probably even in the generation before that, you know, it, a, lot, a lot of grandparents generation, um, uh, you know, just kind of kept private and whatever happened, happened. And that was the end of the story. You're a kid and uh, this is beyond you to understand. And so therefore, I'm not going to explain it to you. And this is how generations uh, subsequent to that, you know, kind of become in the same way. But if you really communicate from the beginning, it's okay to admit fault. It's actually, it's, it's good for you to admit fault. Uh, if you do that, then, you know, uh, you're really framing things differently for somebody so that they can understand. Mm -hmm. This is such a hugely important uh, topic you've touched upon right now, Marvin. And of course, you know, the parents or grandparents who acted in a certain way, like you said, it's not like they had that in mind. Everybody does the best with what they have been given at a specific time. Uh, sometimes, however, that best can lead to consequences, psychological and then also physical, that are really not in the best interest, um, especially when we're talking about children. So communication is a hugely important practice and uh, can lay a very important foundation for the health of our children. And yeah, because it's the repetition that when it keeps happening over and over again, that really solidifies the process in the child's mind that, well, what I thought was the case a year ago must truly be the case that uh, I'm worthless because it's happened, you know, every month for a year. So it must be the case. And what's very fascinating is that we have changes in our microbiome that occur with chronic stress also that could predispose us to really solidify this problem of, 
you know, anxiety um, and depression uh, in our bodies. And so this then becomes biologic because yes. what we've seen uh, in, in some of the microbiome literature is that um, stress uh, can actually be what we call a quorum sensing um, a process, meaning that when there is stress, especially when there's chronic stress, that basically is like a call to order where you get the microbes, these bacteria that come to the table and the bad guys say, hey, look at me, I'm cool. You want to be like me? And the, and the innocent good guys say, sure, no problem. That sounds cool. I want to be like you. And this is what the concept of where we say non-pathogenic bacteria becoming pathogenic. So over time, if this keeps happening over and over again, it's not just a mental thing. This is a biologic thing that happens at, at a very fine level that we don't see. We see these microbes start uh, you know, uh, becoming more imbalanced as a result of chronic stress. And this may be one of the ways in which that happens. And then when you're 30, 40 years old and you say, well, I always have stomach aches or I always have constipation or I always have bloating, you know, uh, well, uh, there could be a deeper reason as, as to where this came from in the first place. So it's not so simple as just take a pill and we'll fix the problem. And this is, I guess, coming full circle to the beginning of our conversation, conversation what I realized early on in my career. Yes, absolutely. And it's very, very important to keep in mind that there are psychic roots of disease. And as you just explained, certain types of behavior that get reinforced uh, become a belief. And the belief in somebody's mind then becomes biology. And once we are in that state where we believe these false narratives about ourselves, who we are, what we're worth or not worth, the kind of person that we are, uh, once that is firmly established in our psyche and then also in our body, like you explained, for example, via the microbiome, we keep attracting the same over and over and over again. And whether it's experiences in our life, the relationships that we lead, uh, lead, that we create, recreate in a sense, or whether it's the biological realities of, um, you know, one experience with illness after another, or just a cascade of illness that result, that have their, their roots actually somewhere much deeper and much longer ago than the current situation. Exactly. So this practicing communication is a vital thing. I mean, in general, but especially when we're dealing with uh, vulnerable and yet to grow psyches of children. And uh, Marvin, there's a question I ask every guest I have the honor of speaking with on this podcast. And that is what are the practices that most profoundly change your life to the better, whether it's mentally, physically, or spiritually? Well, um, I think really there's so much power in diet choices and um, mindfulness practice. So the combination of those two things really made a huge impact. And so I think it's important to realize that, you know, health doesn't have to be scary. Wellness and optimizing your health doesn't have to be scary. This is one of the things that I kind of go into as well. And a lot of things that I write and even in the book that uh, that I have coming out uh, in early 2021 is that you don't have to do a million things to optimize your health. Pick a couple of things um, because those couple of things that are really the core tenets of lifestyle medicine are the cheapest because they don't really cost you any money. Um, uh, it just costs you time um, and can be the most impactful. So really cleaning up your diet avoiding processed packaged foods, avoiding refined sugars and things like that, eating more vegetables, uh, uh, foods that are uh, come from healthy sources. Even if you're eating meat, we talked about making sure that you're eating high quality organic meats um, and eating the proper proportion of them, not eating, you know, 80% meat, 20% vegetable, but the other way around, you know, we want to have a plant focused diet because even if you are eating meat, because the plants provide so much nutrition for our body and for our microbes in the gut, which, which thrive on them, that it, it would be a bad thing if we didn't include them. This minor, seemingly minor lifestyle change has so many positive impacts on so many different parts of our body, even our mental health. 
And when you combine that with even just doing some breath work for 90 seconds twice a day to start off with and trying to graduate eventually over the course of months to 10 to 15 to 20 minute, 30 minute practice, if you're able to, then you're just incrementally improving on an improvement on an improvement. And so these two things together can really bring your mind uh, to a much better place of balance, which will also help your microbiome. And you combine that again with diet, and you'll see so many different positive things come out of that. And then you'll feel more energetic, and you'll be more inclined to exercise more than you were before. And then when you do that, you may find that your sleeping is improved much better. And then all of a sudden, you're one of the health nuts on the street when you really didn't do a whole heck of a lot, except just get started. I love it. Dr. Marv really knows what he's talking about. And I personally cannot wait for your book on your health, Marvin. And until then, if uh, people want to connect with you or get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah, um, I have a website. It's called precisionclinic.com, precision with an E. So P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N-E clinic.com. And all of the contact information is on there. And I'm pretty active on social media. So it's at Dr. Marvin Singh, D-R Marvin Singh, S-I-N-G-H. And um, happy to connect with anybody. Excellent. And I'll make sure to put all of this in the show notes as well. This has been such an insightful and inspiring conversation, Marvin. Thank you very, very much for it. And thank you for being a guest today on the Superhumanized podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 